All right, so this morning I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, and just as a note, if you don't have a Bible, um, a great resource is the Bible app. Um, also, we'll be having a new church app here soon, um, and there's a Bible on that. Or if you're old school like me and you want like a physical Bible, we have some available. Just let me or Pastor Stefan know or somebody who, who should be in the know. Let us know. We'll get you one. So just shameless plug there. Love it. Okay, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. So Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father, I know, that's, that's wild. Uh, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. How many of you know that's low? That, that's a low moment. All right, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. I'm sorry. Sometimes I read the word and I laugh. Okay. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And skipping down to verse uh, 32, we had to celebrate this happy day for the brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now... He is found. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. You know, it's going to be fun. You guys ready to have some fun? Well, then I'm going to make you the, the center of the fun. <laughs> All right, y'all. So, first slide. Today is the first 
the darkness. <laughs> the Lord said there shall be light if there was blue. <laughs> no, um, we are starting a new series. If you didn't know, it's called Who Are We? And in, oh, there we are. Uh. And today, like, I want us to be able to step into a place where we have new people, we have a new direction, we have a lot of new things going, and I, wanna, I want us to be, as we go through this, educated on what the culture we have, to experience what God's heart is, where we want to be, and knowing just kind of what's going on. And as it says, like up there, a big part of who we are is we want a legacy into a lifestyle. There's a history and character and identity and placement that has been amazing in history. But now we want to walk it out as a lifestyle every day, not just as something that has happened, but as something that will happen. See, even when we look at what our mission statement is, which is what we're going over today, it's loving the lost into the family of God. Can you go ahead and go to the next slide? So when we look at Luke, I mean, yeah, Luke 15, 11 through 32, I originally was going to have us read the whole section, you know what I mean? But I was like, a half hour later, we would, we would be impacted, but I loved your emotionality of it, and I loved Hallelujah today, you were on point. But I want to kind of bring this to a point that we all can see really quickly. When we look at this story, it starts off with something we all connect with. If we take out the whole prostitutes, all this stuff, let's just set it aside as something we all understand. Do we all have desires? Do we all sometimes choose something that at first it says, I want it now, and I'm willing to sacrifice a relationship sometimes to get what I want now? And that, that's the beginning of the story. Is he's saying, I actually, I, wanna, I want what I want right now so I can have the freedom to do what I want. But in doing that, he sacrifices the relationship and is separated. And as he's separated, stuff goes haywire because in separation, it ends up being a place that, like, it's wild, wild west out there. It's like, you know... It starts going crazy. And what'd you say? I was singing the song in my head. Oh, wow, wow. Yep. Um, <laughs> I actually don't know any other lyrics than that. So it, it would just play on replay in that part in Will Smith's voice. Uh, but anyway, so as we talk about that desire in the wild, wild west, it ends up when the grace disappears, what's going to happen? The way out disappears. Because the repercussions aren't that like God goes, I'm going to damn you. I'm going to destroy you. No. What happens is regular bad stuff happens in all of our lives, right? How many of you guys have any bad stories in your whole entire life? Okay. So think about when grace isn't there because you've chosen to receive what you want right now. And then you step into that bad thing. It's no good. You end up in a place where you have to look. 
and be like, oh, dang, I'm desperate for a change. And in that desperation of change, it's like the only choice is to humble myself and go back to where I decided to leave from. And then what ends up happening is as we go home, we realize that there's a place where the father was watching and waiting and hoping. that the Because first of all, you guys who have ever heard me preach know I, I say the prodigal son story not super often, but often, because I think it reflects so much of our position with God. But if, if the father was seeing him in a far-off distance, that means he waited with anticipation with his return, that he was hoping. The fact that he ran was totally against culture. It meant that he was actually willing to look foolish to other people as he ran. This term, reckless love, you know. In reality, God doesn't care what it looks like to people as long as he gets his goal because his goal is right. And in that same place, as he sees us in the distance and we're like, even the chance of that like goodness, that desperation, that need, we cry out even for selfish things. Because I don't know about you, but for me, the beginning of my walk was a very selfish place. When I came, it was coming for a need that I wanted. It was coming for something that I wanted. But then in that place, recognizing as the father ran up and was willing to do whatever, he didn't just make me a servant. What he did was he made me a son. And he started pouring out this love. And he started pouring out this place where it actually changes you. And puts you back into a placement. But then he reveals his heart over and over again. And his heart is, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I don't know how many of you guys feel this in your story. Like, we should all be able to, even if it's a small glimpse, be able to see ourselves in this story. The reason why I skip the older brother is sometimes it's easier for some people to see themselves as the older brother. But the truth is, is the older brother is the younger brother. The difference is, is that he just did the right things in the beginning, and then he left at the end. Hard work, but, you know, it is what it is. My point, though, is, is that, like, God's position ends up meeting us in a place we decide things for what we want. And we end up needing him to come back. Now, go ahead, next slide. So, who is this for? And what does God decide in the middle of it? In Isaiah 53, 6 through 7, first of all, there's a whole line of this sheep. This guy, like, is a sheep herder. And I, I found this while I was, like, uh, like setting uh, the serpent up. It had me rolling. Literally, this guy has pictures of all the places he finds this specific sheep because this sheep just, he'll wander. So you saw the video of the sheep that's stuck in like the little gutter? That's this sheep. And so what the thing is, is this sheep wanders and then he has to like go figure out where this sheep wandered to and then save it. And it's hilarious. But anyways, so... <laughs> uh, 
by the, own, by the word, it says all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. So the reality is we are all that younger prodigal son. We all have a desire that sometimes we're willing to sacrifice in this moment to go after. But his heart is constantly not to sit here and condemn us or break us or judge us, but it's actually to rebring us from this place we're lost and put us back in our flock, to put us in our family, to put us not from in the isolation and lostness we've chosen, but to actually place us back in a place we belong, in a place we're accepted, we're seen, that we have an identity that's with him. But also, to do that, it costs a price, right? For this sheep to keep getting found, it takes the time of somebody searching it out, doing the work to get him back, and to carry him to the place that he belongs. But we see within this verse that God's heart is to pay whatever that price is. That it's a place that he's willing to find us in all of our desires, in all of our lostness, in all of our choices, in all the things we choose to decide. It's his pleasure without even complaining. He ain't like us. He ain't complaining if it's hot or cold. He's not complaining if it's hard or if it's easy. He is simply recognizing that he gets to bring his family home. And at the end of the day, he's willing to pay the price even into his own life. Go to the next slide for me. So a big position of what you'll hear as we continue on in this culture is experience, embody, and express. These are like power statements. We want to structure what we fight for here. I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired of tasting the Kool-Aid of hypocrisy. I'm tired of seeing a body and a people, I'm not saying I've seen it here, but I'm saying in general, where Christianity tells you what's right to do, but it doesn't reflect it at all. And for us, what we want to know is that there is a real experience of Jesus. There is a real experience of him in our lives. There's a real place where he can take a hold and be real. And real places where there's real characteristics that reach out and touch you. And that those experiences, they, they then, as they touch you, they change you to look like them. But finally, that, that embodiment, the truth of you being changed is that you actually start expressing it at the end. So hypocrisy has gone, but transformation and renewal is at the center. So let's go to the next slide. So, first of all, I'm going to tell you a little story by the pictures. Pay attention to the pictures on my slides. It ain't the same person. I just tried to make up a story, but I couldn't find pictures of nothing that, like, followed it. So, I just made it up. But in the story, I wanted to, like, if I were thinking of a child being saved, and, like, by a firefighter, they experienced the saved and the strength of being carried out of that fire and the kindness as they sit on that ambulance after this fire has happened. 
And that moment that just paused and saw them, that they wouldn't have made it out without, in a world that was out of control and they didn't have the power to change it. That in that place, that firefighter ran into the middle of danger, into the middle of pain, into the middle of the mess, and rescued them. That is an image of experience. When we look at Romans 2.4, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? How many of us think that what changes people is telling them they're wrong? I think the truth is, is that a lot of us would say, of course that's not what it is, oh, oh yeah. But the truth is, is that like our actions say something different, right? <laughs> our actions say something different. How many of you guys like are real quick, you know they were wrong, so I got to tell them they were wrong. It's true. But the truth is, is that what actually changes us to want to participate with God and be with something that is good is not just being right, but it's actually the goodness of God. As you recognize that he's not just this parent who is going to sit here and condemn you in the middle of your process, but that he's actually one who's going to love you and strengthen you and carrying you. Like that sheep, right, who was stuck in that gutter, he would pick you up, he'd find you, even though that was your decision, come and get you and carry you back to where you were meant to be. See, it's funny how a lot of us will think of one of the biggest kids' stories, right, is Jonah. When we really think about what the story of Jonah is at the center of it, it's no different than the prodigal son. It's a place where he was told what to do, he desired to receive something now because he didn't want to do it. He left and went his own way. As natural calamity came, he went into struggle and decided to try and throw himself overboard. And God's goodness brought him back to where he was meant to be. In reality, we can look at a lot of the major stories. And there's a part of, of this desire that drives us leads us into this place, but God's goodness changes us in the process as it brings us into what it was always meant to be. Actually, as God gives you identity, loves you, sees you, has a place for you, that kindness and that, that specific, I see you, I'm for you, I have a purpose for you, that kindness can't help but make you want to change to look like it where we all need help to be carried and picked up and seen. The truth is, is not many of us are easy to love. We think we are. But I think that, like, when you look on the other side, I would say that there's parts of all of us that are easy to love, right? If you talk to our significant other or close friends, they love things about us. But how easy is it for us to let ourselves be loved? So for God to win out, that shows just how good he is. Because he keeps loving you even when the places it's hard for you to accept that there is love for you. But in this experience, that's not something you dictate. It's just something that happens to you. Right? This kid didn't choose for the firefighter to come. The truth is, is the firefighter showed up in the middle of it, 
outside of the power, outside of what they could do, and rescued. Amen? Okay, next slide. Embody. Remember, there's an experience that happens. There's a gift that's poured out. There's this thing that starts to change them, right? That experience, this embodying is being transformed by our experiences. If you're not being transformed by your experiences, but you're just making yourself something different, what you're actually doing is behavior modification, and it's not developing relationship. You're just looking like the world in a better facet. Why we want to move into this is actually because embodying it is like this. Remember the first part of the story. Little girl is saved by a firefighter in this place. She's totally powerless. But in this, she's like, I actually want to become like that firefighter. I want to go through the training to do that. I want myself to be transformed so that I ultimately have all the capabilities and abilities to represent that firefighter who has saved me. Dear friends, we are already children of God, but he has not yet shown us what it will be like when Christ appears. In other words, we're not going to know what it's going to be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. That should blow all of our minds. It's saying that we're going to be like Christ because Christ has already been interacting with us, changing us. So we have no clue what he's actually going to look like, but we know that we're going to reflect him because he's already been at work. So those experiences we are stepping into are ones of faith where we were powerless. We are powerless. We're not able to make that happen. But it naturally changes us to reflect this good character, this place of kindness, this place of love. And the truth is, is that even that those experiences are happening is because it's proof that he's already chosen to pour that goodness on you. It's not because you qualified. It's not because you're good enough. It's because we've been adopted. And in that adoption, by calling on his name, what happens is, is that it's not like even adoptions nowadays. There's no return policy. As soon as he's paid the blood price, we belong. So you belong. There's ownership. There's a place where he'll continue to fight and prove himself till the very last breath that we have of how good he is, how majestic. And it changes us as we let it. Romans 12.2, do I have it up there? Yes, I do. I put it in two versions because there's the first version where we all think of what Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is God and acceptable and perfect. Anybody who's read the Bible, this is like a tonly quoted Bible verse, right? I love the Bible verse, but then when we look at Romans 12:2 in NLT, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So in this embody, we have these experiences. These experiences changes what the world's expectations are and make it so that... In reality, your worldview can change. So the ways you think, what you want, what you're willing to do would change. 
so that you could reflect God, not you or the world. And what ends up happening is it's actually pleasing and good to God. Just because you're doing good activities doesn't mean they're God activities. Just because you're giving enough doesn't mean you're giving actually what God's meant to give you. And just because you are doing what somebody else was doing doesn't mean it's your gifts and what you've been called to do. The beautiful, perfect part is God's experience of grabbing a hold of you is to put you in the place of the flock that you were meant to be. We've all been called to this family, and it's all been in a place that gets to say, you get to think differently. You're actually a new person. You're unique and needed. You are loved. You're wanted. Even as we'll talk about on another day, is within kind of the culture we're releasing, because that'll be a bunch of sermons for a long time, is wanderers are welcomed. In the house of God, he takes those who have wandered, those who have been lost, those who have chosen their own ways, those who have been in the desolate and isolate, no matter what your excuse or no matter your reason, and he places us in family. And in that same process, it transforms us into the way we think, heals the way we feel, and ultimately gives us hope where most of us don't know what that hope looks like in some places. Amen? Next slide. Hallelujah. So this person, they've experienced being saved. They sat by the ambulance. The firefighter was kind, held their hand, said whatever firefighters say in that moment. You know, it was probably made a dad joke like Bill, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and then, like, that person was like, this is so amazing. I want to do that for somebody else. So they start going through the training, put themselves changed, were totally capable. But then to truly step into the full transformation of what that experience meant, meant they had to walk it out for somebody else. See, pouring out what we have been changed by is expressing the goodness of God. So as we step into express, we look at Hebrews 13. 15 through 16, through Jesus, therefore, let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Now, this might sound like just a little out there, but the end portion, it's easy to see how this goes. The second, the beginning part, though, I promise all of you can express good things that have happened to you right? How many of you in here can at least like testify of God and do some of the good things, right? What is our biggest excuse for why we don't do it? Fear. Fear. What else? Guilt. Guilt. How many of us, when we get offended by somebody, it gives us the excuse to not be godly to them (laughs) or to ignore them? Guess what? The word that it says in that second, third sentence, what's the first word in that third sentence? Of the Bible verse. Am I tripping? <laughs> I think it says sacrifice. 
<laughs> People don't like the word sacrifice. I'm just joking. <laughs> That's what I'm allotted to. <laughs> no, I'm just playing with y'all. Um, in reality, there's a place where we get to sacrifice in this place. Because for that goodness to actually change us and prove itself to us, there's sometimes even seeing it for people who don't want it for themselves get to experience that same thing we've got to experience through us. It doesn't always feel good. In fact, people will prove what people do. People are not perfect. In fact, hurt people will continue to hurt people. In fact, people who are being rude and loud and like obnoxious are generally crying out saying they're hurting and they're afraid. So by us ignoring them or withholding them, it's saying that a person in pain and sick and unable isn't worth being treated. And our expression is we've received plenty of our vaccine, of our ointment, of our health, so much so that we actually have enough to give it to one more person. And where we want to be as we step forward as people who don't hoard our experiences and this character of God. We don't stick it in the closet trying to think about it and remember how great it was, but that we hope, we wait for the moment that the person comes before us who needs the same thing that we've received and give it away. Because that's the thing that says it was all worth something. Amen? So, all right. You'll hear me say, how many of us have heard me say our gospel before? All right, that wasn't many hands. That means that y'all haven't been listening. Uh, just <laughs> so, <laughs> the thing is, is that like, uh, I actually, there's a verse, I don't know if I put it up there, it's Psalms 145, yep, all right, hallelujah. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. Our gospel, as we step it out, the place where God has been alive for you, the places he's proven for you, this place where we get to walk out and say, my God is alive, this world might be on fire, everything might be hidden in the fan, I might feel done, I might be afraid, I might be offended, but I know my God has done this for me, and he'll do it again. That ultimately, I'm more defined by the eternity of God and who he's been than this moment of my struggle. Because tomorrow's not promised. And in the very least, if I'm going to end this moment right now, I at least want to know that I'm right with God and that I've done it rightly. But also, I want to see what has been done for me. So all that to say, you will hear more of this Bible verse because it's also part of our cultural thing. Um, we are for standing in this place where we testify of the goodness of God. Because when I look around, is it okay if I just I spit out some people's stories? Because does anybody afraid? 
if anybody's afraid of me saying anything about their story, raise your hand. <laughs> I tricked you. There ain't nobody going to do that. <laughs> when I look around this room, though, I see, <laughs> I see tons of people who've been impacted by the goodness of God. I see people who have a testimony that could change someone's life. And it might not all be this place that we can say, like me, I've heard God, or I've seen these crazy miracles. But I promise you, you've seen miracles by the standard of this world. When I think of Charlene, for instance, and how the community wrapped around her to make sure that she had every single thing that she needed. And that, in fact, they, they like offered, I'm not going to say her situation, but they offered the house so that she could step into a brand new life of freedom. How many places in the world do we see that actually happening? Or like Miss Rachel here. I'll call Rachel out. You know, in this place is like where we are just doing our own thing, but God keeps bringing people up that says, you know, there's something more for you. And when it shows up, it actually speaks things that nobody actually knows about her life that only God can know. When we talk about like Walt and the place that there's been, I think, I love Walt, by the way. If any of you guys didn't know, I love Walt. <laughs> but the thing is, is that when you look at Walt, there's all these places his heart's desire has been just to be pleasing to God. And that's what I respect so much about Walt. But even in a place that he's like a child, willing to be taught in every moment God. And because of that, like there's all these opportunities where he gets to pour out love. Like Peter and Diane here, which I'm so joyful to see them. Because the truth is, is that like in, they're both like 70 years old. And I actually don't know how old Diane is. I'm not going to ask. But, I hope. <laughs> but Diane worked for OHSU as a nurse for dying kids. But the stories and care and love that she cared for her children can only prove to me how much she's actually experienced God in her life. And with Peter, Peter is, I love Peter. Peter is like a graham cracker. You know, the truth is that sometimes he's crumbly on the outside, but once you get him softened in the right place, he's the softest, sweetest guy you've ever met in your life. It's true. You're a crotchety guy. You know it's true. <laughs> but the thing, <laughs> I looked at him. I had to give him a look. But in that place, what we see is, is that like God is in so many stories. I look at Dame and the favor of God that keeps coming around to show that he's so good to continue to rescue, to give the best, no matter what our decisions, no matter what our expectations. Where God challenges John and he says, you know what, I actually have more than you could ever dream. You, you think you can get a lot, I can give you more. Luda, who wouldn't necessarily get something, but that in that place where God is just ravaging her, just coming and going and speaking things that there's no possible way through dreams and statements. Bethany, who is like sitting here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start rattling off people, I told you. It's like, I, I think that if we can't sit here and really, oh, my computer's dead. Oh, no, it isn't. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
But if, if we can't sit here looking at Tim through an accident, there was nobody like he could have died. Angie, where she's had like places where God is speaking like in dreams and statements and even in this place where now where she's being seen and that there's more. I look at the two people at the back right over there. They're faithful people. They have sat there in Burien and Oakland and these places and given everything to God, but also gotten to see God miraculously move. Rich and Denise, where there's a place that God has faithfully moved in their life to fill desires that they didn't know where they came from. But in this time, no matter what it looks like, is filling them. We have all experienced God. We might not recognize it. But when we look around, we can testify that we see God around us. And will that change you? Because ultimately, that legacy of God changing people and impacting people can transform us to be something new. God may seem far from you, but he's not as far as he seems. As we think about this, can you go to the next slide for me? I want us to think about, we're at Glenfair Church right now. And I've had the blessing to come here. I've had the blessing to look and see and study the history of Glenfair. And the truth is, is that like, I've got to meet people like Alice and Ruby and Another crazy fact, a guy who has like ministered to me for years, his dad was a pastor here in the 70s. I didn't even know that. Crazy, right? And so it's like we, we see the fruit of a people here. This church started in 1957. When you look at in 1957, there's farms only here. But they had one goal, to bring the kingdom of God forward, to look and represent God faithfully, to hope, to serve, to love, to care, to give a place. As you look at the message of today, it's built around the idea that sometimes we think we know what we want, and we'll go after it, but sometimes God will rearrange us and bring us back. And it might not be the place where we came, but it's going to be the place we're meant to be. And when we look at Glenfair, it's been a place that has been positioned and cared and for the community and for the world around it. They've been faithful with their funds, their community, their place. They have served the community many times, you know, for years, they've wanted God more than anything. I mean, when you talk to, especially, I can only go based off the fruit of the people who've been here. You know what I mean? The relationships, I look at the Fosters, through Alice, through just Walton Grace. You know what I mean? Mike, these are people who've been here. And these people represent God to me. They love they wanted people to experience God and join this family. 
the family of God. Not just the family of Glenfair, but the family of God. Amen? And ultimately, they have been life to this part of the city. They have. But when we talk about Glenfair, like from people who've experienced it, that's implicitly what you guys are saying. You guys are suggesting all those things because you have those in your memories. They're there. But within a generation that doesn't even know this church anymore, or some of these words or these phrases, and it's been so tainted by hypocrisy, we have to do more than implicitly say things. We have to explicitly stand for things. And as we explicitly stand for things, we want to honor that by explicitly standing for a culture that stands for the legacy of what you guys have lived for. Amen? All right, next slide. So, I knew that this was going to be probably the most interesting part. We are pushing out a new name to be known by. And even as we're going through this, it will be pushing forward a new place. We are not getting rid of Glenfair. But instead, we're not just implicitly stating something, we're explicitly standing for something. We are not just suggesting the stories of what you guys have lived and the faithfulness that you have been, we are now going to state that we will continue and make the promise stepping forward they will stand for everything within that culture. The honor of God, the placement, that we can see a legacy, but we won't just look at it as a history, but we will become it going forward. Amen? Amen. That it's a culture for God and the lost. That we are not going to just be something that is placed in the history books that has already died away, but we will live till eternity standing for God. The new name will be Life City at Glenfair. Now, I'm not changing it officially. I'm just saying that. But the reason why we're doing this is we need to step into a new DNA. We need to step into a place that not only is stuck in this one location. I pray and I believe in discipleship. I believe in growth. I believe that we are meant to be something to the community. If we were only to impact about 20 of the apartment complexes, this building would no longer be viable for that. So we should be in a place that is ready to multiply. So in that, we have to be ready to be life to this city. We have to be ready to stand loving the lost into family. And in that, we have experienced an amazing God who loved us. We have to turn and show them the family that we are getting put into. And if you're in the place where you're still looking for family and you don't know what it is to be part of this church, guess what? There's a ton of people around you who get to love on you and say, I want to belong here. And guess what? We're all in the same place where we're learning what this DNA means, what it stands for, what this culture is, what we're going to stand for ourselves. But ultimately, we want to go forward and change this world around us by what we've experienced, not what is just right in our brains. Each of you will be able to carry that. 
Because the biggest gift that we have is not just what we think is right, but is the love that we carry inside of each of us, that has changed us, that has showed us that not everything is impossible. Loving the lost into the family of God is a mission to experience. It's a mission that experiences God right where we're at, that shows us the impossibilities of being healed and where God is different than everything within this world, to break our limits and bring us into full experience of him. But as he challenges us with these experiences, he, he brings hope. It transforms us to embody him. But as we see his character and we embody it, we can't help but express it to those who need it around us. And that is what our heart is as we say this mission statement, as we stand as Life City, as we stand for what has been paved and paid for. We get to stand as people of God to say, it's my chance to love. It's my chance to experience. So as we go forward, I have two more statements. Worship team can come up. We're really going to see in this series as we go forward two things. I'm going to be teaching about DNA. For all of you guys who know what DNA is, it's pretty much like what, the, what we're going to stand for. And as we get to stand for love, right? As we get to stand for this place, we need to also see that this is not just for no one. This is for everyone. So one of the first statements, even what the name is built off of, is the DNA that we will stand for, Life City. And Life City will be what we think about God and how he pours out and how he meets the world around us. This will be a doctrinal DNA, means like thoughts and beliefs of God, right? And in that Life City, I'm not going to say it now because you're going to hear it a million times over the three months. The other side of what we'll be teaching is a statement called Welcome Home. And that is the culture we want to pour out to the people around us. That's the culture of what we stand for. It's the character of God that meets us right here. And it is a representation of his love, his might, his hands that says all is welcomed. All is loved and all will meet him at the doors. You guys feel me? All right. I'm done with my sales pitch. If anybody needs some Jesus, I'll come pray with you. Bless y'all.